we get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we have ears to hear your word. May we be encouraged through reading your word and having it revealed to us by your spirit. May we be shaped to be more like Jesus. May we be a light in the darkness, showing your love and your goodness to the world. Although we are all flawed, we all make mistakes, we all sin and fall short of your glory. We praise you that you work through us, imperfect humans, that you've called together to be your church. We pray that we might glorify you and we pray that we might delight in the words that you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've only got a short reading up front uh, for today, but there will be some other passages throughout the sermon. But we're reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 8. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And skipping down just a few verses in that same chapter to to, to verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Where am I going with all of that? I want to start my sermon today with an apology. This sermon is one I probably should have given a long time ago, but it's one that I have been... Uh, afraid to give uh, because I didn't want to cause any controversy or any disagreement. Because today I want to talk about conspiracy theories and what the Bible says to us about conspiracy theories. I used to think conspiracy theories were fairly harmless. People that believed that uh, the moon landing was, was filmed on a, a studio in Nevada by Stanley Kubrick. Or, uh, you know, the people going on about seeing UFOs at Area 51. Or, you know, the, even the flat earth people who, 
I'm always, I'm never entirely sure if they're just taking the mickey or not, but who, who state that the world is flat and that if you go too far, you'll... Actually, I don't think they say you'll fall off the end of it anymore. I think, I think they've got another theory. But in any case, I used to think all these things were a bit silly but fairly harmless. But in the last few years... We've seen an increase in violence and destruction at the instigation of some of these conspiracy theories. We've seen... um, We haven't heard too much about the 5G stuff. Remember early on uh, when COVID was happening and it was all that it was being caused by these 5G towers? And towers were destroyed... And people were abused over, you know, over installing this hardware. We saw the Capitol riot in America and people storming their, you know, the seat of the government. And I don't think conspiracy theories are just silly and not really something worth talking about anymore. Now, I want to be very clear about what I'm talking about this morning as I'm talking about conspiracy theories. And I'm not talking about somebody saying, I'm concerned about getting the COVID vaccine because I'm concerned about some of the side effects. Um, You know, I, I know that there are some people in this church with this view, and you know that I hold a slightly different view, but that's not the point of today. That's not the conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is when we go beyond that to the entire medical community is lying to us because they want X or Y. Or, you know, that Bill Gates is putting microchips in the vaccine and putting it into our bloodstream. Conspiracy theories are a way to join the dots that people see and to make sense of the complex issues and and particularly the the negative things that happen in our world. And I think in many ways these conspiracy theories are a response to some very real flaws in our media, you know, and in the way that the media tells us about the things that are going on and some very real flaws in our politicians and how they go about leading our country. But that's... Even though these flaws are real, these conspiracy theories move on from that the media is flawed to that there is this entire conspiracy throughout all the media to have us believing X or Y or to distract us from Z. Conspiracy theories almost invariably have a villain. There's somebody who is responsible or at least, you know, a nebulous group of powerful people who are responsible for the bad things that are happening in our world. I already mentioned Bill Gates. Uh, He's been, you know, at the heart of several of these conspiracy theories. Um, The, uh, you know, I've heard conspiracy theories about Scott Morrison. I've heard conspiracy theories about, uh, oh, what's her name? The, the, The health lady that does all the... Yeah, Spuria, that's the one. Now, conspiracy theories is something that's 
we've all, I think, encountered in the last few years. But what does the Bible have to say about them? You're not going to find the word conspiracy theory, or the two words, conspiracy theory, anywhere in the Bible. But conspiracy theories have been around since the very beginning. Did God really say that if you ate from the tree that you would surely die? What does the Bible have to say about conspiracy theories and about how we as Christians should interact when we see claims like these come across you know, our Facebook timelines or, up, or come up in conversation with people that we know and love? And like, although the Bible never mentions conspiracy theories as that phrase anywhere, I think there are three principles that help us evaluate how Christians should interact with conspiracy theories. From Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Leviticus 19, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Psalm 101.5, whoever slanders their neighbour in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. Psalm 140.11, may slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down the violent. Proverbs 10.18, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Mark 7.21-22, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Romans 1, 29 to 30, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 4, 11, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Colossians 3.8, but now you must also get rid of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Titus 3.1-2, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. James 4.11, brothers and sisters do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And last but not least, 1 Peter 2.1, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. God doesn't like slander. I, I think hopefully that point has come across well. 
And you remember when I, at the start when I spoke about what is and what isn't a conspiracy theory, the difference between people having some caution about a new vaccine and things like that, and those who are making accusations about those behind the vaccine, about, about health authorities, political authorities, all of those things. Those accusations is why I raise this issue of slander. Because if we make accusations along those lines and we are wrong, that is slander. Does it matter if we believe that it's right and true? Not if we're spreading things that aren't true. I noted before that conspiracy theories generally have a villain that's responsible for all of the things that are wrong in the world and then the sharing of these conspiracy theories is to make an accusation that these people have made very serious crimes to commit a public official of treason is a very serious accusation to uh, accuse a a wealthy figure of of planning towards uh, population reduction around the world is a very serious accusation. And if the accusation is wrong, even if we thought it was true, we've committed the sin of slander. It's not enough to just hear an argument and think that it sounds plausible for us to then go out and make an accusation against someone. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The sort of evidence that would actually hold up in a court. And so if we make these accusations without serious evidence, that is slander. And we saw God doesn't like slander. Now that's not to say that we can't take the things we see on the news or we can't take the promises of politicians with a grain of salt. That we can't Uh, have a degree of caution about the things that the world tells us. We are called to be shrewd and to be discerning in the world. But I think our society broadly, and this is not just a problem in the church, has become entirely too comfortable with slander, with the level of evidence that we're willing to accept as enough to make a serious accusation against somebody. It's become an acceptable sin. If we're, speak, we're going to be speakers of truth, we need to stand apart from the world's low threshold for making accusations. Because with those accusations lies our credibility and the credibility of the gospel that we preach. So that's... If we, if we see something in our timelines, take the time to think, is this making an accusation about you know, a particular person, a Bill Gates, or like the medical community as a whole are hiding something? And if it is, what kind of evidence have they, have they given us for it? And is it just simply that this is a possible interpretation of events or do they actually have 
evidence that is of a high enough standard that we would be willing to make an accusation against these people. Now the question might come, why should we care about an accusation against Bill Gates or Scott Morrison or Nicola Spurrier or uh, whoever else it might be? I mean, even if those accusations prove false, yeah, what difference is it? What harm are these things going to do? Those people are so rich and powerful that there's not going to be much uh, impact for them. Well, some of them at least are rich and powerful. The thing is that conspiracy theories present us with a world in which all of the problems, or at least the most serious problems in the world, are caused by a powerful few. I'll tell you who the Bible says is really behind. The two people that are really behind everything that's wrong with the world. Number one is probably no surprise. Number one is Satan, the prince of darkness. We see uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians, he's talking about how they were dead in their transgressions and sins from the way they used to live when they followed the ways of this world. And who, what, who were they really following when they followed the ways of this world? Of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He doesn't use the word Satan, but we know exactly who Paul is talking about there. Behind all of the evil in the world, there is someone making it all happen. And it's not the Illuminati. It's Satan. But he's just the first person that's behind all the problems in the world. The second person that's responsible for everything that's wrong with the world is me. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am what's wrong with this world. The world is broken because our inward human nature is sinful and selfish and we've all sinned and all hurt other people and all caused problems and made our world a broken place. Conspiracy theories present an an attractive alternative where I am not the problem with this world. Somebody else is. All the problems, or at least the most serious problems that are facing our world today are caused by the villains of the conspiracy theory. Therefore, those villains are our enemies. If only they are dealt with, then the world will be better. Then things will be set right. I saw an example of this sort of thing on Facebook shared by people that I know and that I care about, shared a few months ago, and it was all about some guy purporting to be uh, working with the the ICC, the International Criminal Court, uh, and about the cases that they had against uh, Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, the the, the US um, equivalent of Nicola Spuria, and some of these other people and how they had these cases against them and how there was going to be the death penalty enacted. And quite apart from the fact that it obviously wasn't true, I mean, 
I don't think it's a contentious claim to say that. He said these things were going to happen within the next few weeks and this was months ago. It wasn't the fact that these claims were wrong that concerned me the most. It was about how pleased they seemed at the idea of these enemies being put to death, at the prospect that this could happen. They've been deceived into believing that our enemies are flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Jesus told us, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus didn't just tell us to love our enemies and do the opposite. While we were his enemies, he died for us. He gave his life for our sins. And while he was on the cross, taking not just the pain of one of the most painful forms of execution known throughout history, but also the wrath of God against all of our sins. He prayed for forgiveness for those who had put him there. Yes, there is a sense that as Christians, if we, if we truly believe somebody has done something wrong, we do want to see justice served. But so often it leads towards hate towards encouraging people to hate. Jesus had plenty of strong words for his opponents, uh, people who, who argued against him throughout his ministry. But he didn't hate. And neither should we. We love our enemies. And do good for those who persecute us. But these things, they breed an atmosphere of hatred that can and has led to violence. It leads us to forget our own need for grace in our own lives because all the problems in the world are caused by someone else. Instead, we need to be reminded of our need for grace, of the ways that we are part of what's wrong with the world and having knowing that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have been forgiven, we have that grace we then can share and show that grace to others who have wronged us. So when we see these things online or these things in conversation, look for, is there a villain that they're encouraging us to hate? Because this really does become poison for the soul. So we should slander no one which means that we be very careful when we make accusations. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. And so we need to be careful not to hate. But there is one uh, final idea, one final warning that the Bible gives us when it comes to conspiracy theories. And it's those verses that I read right at the beginning of this sermon. 
I don't know, this is probably not something that um, is covered from the pulpit very often, but does anybody know what was the first major heresy that threatened to, to divide the church? Gnosticism. Gnosticism from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the idea behind it was that it wasn't just enough to have the teaching of Jesus. It wasn't just enough to have what the apostles had then taught. Those who were truly spiritual would get some special extra revelation from God about you know, the nature of the cosmos, about God himself, something beyond what Scripture tells us and usually something completely in conflict with what Scripture tells us. And this, this issue was known in the church, even in the time that the New Testament was being written. The major heyday of Gnosticism came sort of more in the 100 to 200 AD, after the Bible was written, but even while it was being written, these issues were raising their head. And it was a particular problem in the church in Colossae that Paul wrote to, warning against the people that claimed to have secret knowledge. Those verses again, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person, and we've seen from the context that I shared before that this is about the people that claim to have extra secret knowledge. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, their extra knowledge that has been given to them. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. And he warns us, even if we are an angel, sorry, this is from Galatians, but a similar idea, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Even if an angel tells you something, if it doesn't match the scripture, we need to be careful with it. What does that have to do with the conspiracy theory side of things? This issue of people claiming to have secret knowledge from God. And the result was they were puffed up. There is an appeal, an allure to having secret knowledge, to being in the know, to being one of the few who can actually put the pieces together and see the world as it truly is. There's an appeal to secret knowledge. Just ask Adam and Eve in the garden. And with that feeling that you are one of the few people that sees things correctly, that you are on the inside, one of the insiders with the true knowledge, comes a sense of superiority. I think it's probably fair to say that by this point of 2022, all of us somewhere along the way have met an arrogant conspiracy theorist. The type of people that tell everybody to wake up and be more like me and don't be sheeple and all of these phrases that uh, have become 
part of our modern dialogue, for better or mostly for worse. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We're called by God to be humble. Paul reminds the people in Colossians. He says in those verses I shared before, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God and the people who are interested in having secret knowledge, oh, the mysteries of God, I want to know about this. Namely, Christ. Christ is the mysteries of God. In Jesus, all of the truth of God has been revealed. And we don't need any secret knowledge. On top of that, God has given us everything we need to know in his word to love and to trust him, to have everlasting life. So resist the temptation of secret knowledge and the pride that it brings. So in closing, when we're on Facebook, when we're on Twitter, when we're in conversation and a conspiracy theory comes up, consider, is it slander? Is it making an accusation that the evidence uh, does not warrant? Does it lead me into an us versus them view of the world in which they are the enemies and we should hate them? Does it puff up rather than build up with the allure of secret knowledge? Let's pray that God will give us wisdom. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will make us wise. We pray that you will help us to see when a theory that comes across our way is actually calling for us to engage in slander or where it might be leading us to a hatred of people that you have made, that it might be leading us to see our enemies as flesh and blood rather than seeing, uh, than living the way that Christ has told us to, of loving our enemies and doing good for those who persecute us. We pray that you'll help us to be wise to resist the allure of secret knowledge, of being one that has the information given to us by God or by Facebook that nobody else has. Let us to resolve to know Christ and him crucified, the heart of the gospel and no other gospel. We pray that you will help us to be people who share your truth in this world. We pray that you will forgive any mistakes that we might have made in this area and help us to be more like your son who came to us full 
of grace and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.